The WBEN All Local. All Local. Produced by Randy Bushover. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Outside, it's a humid start. We've got 72 degrees in Buffalo. Across western New York, people running for public office are gearing up for primary day tomorrow. But why in June? WBEN's Max Ferry has the latest on an early start to the political season. I do still think people are getting used to the fact that we have primaries in June. Um, Obviously, they were moved from September and, you know, we're trying to do the best we can to get the word out because these primaries sometimes end up being the race uh, for the district because there aren't there's sometimes not a general election, particularly in the city of Buffalo. So these elections are critical and oftentimes they're decided by a handful of votes. So the saying that every vote counts really, really means a lot during a primary. Erie County Board of Elections Commissioner Jeremy Zellner reminds residents of Erie County that the primary election day is this Tuesday, June 27th. Eligible Erie County voters can go to any one of the 38 polling locations in Erie County to cast their ballots. Polls open from 6 a.m. and close at 9 p.m. Political analyst Carl Calabrese expects a low turnout at the polls this Tuesday, as is the case in most primaries. And although there really aren't any high-profile races in his mind, he does note some interesting races, particularly the Republican primary race for the 10th district of the Erie County Legislature. You've got the incumbent who was appointed uh, James Maseski uh, versus Lindsay Larigo, whose father-in-law happens to be Ralph Larigo, the chairman of the Conservative Party. That battle has produced an awful lot of heat ever ever since the appointment was made and and, uh, Larigo was passed over for that appointment. And now you've got a primary in both the Republican and conservative lines. And it's been a very hot primary. And I'm sure that if you live in that district, you've been flooded with people coming to your door and and mail slingers uh, to convince you to vote for one or the other. Other interesting races are the races for Buffalo Common Council seats. Find out more details on polling locations and the full interviews at WBEN.com. This is Max Ferry for WBEN.com News. All right, Max, thank you. Early voting ending for Tuesday's primaries. Total number of votes cast over the nine-day period, just over 4,500, 4,551. In addition to nearly 1,500 absentee ballots that were received, the Board of Elections says roughly 4% of eligible Erie County voters have cast ballots in the June primary so far. Regular voting tomorrow, though, takes place 6 to 9 p.m. That's 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Just so you know, you don't have just three hours to vote. You can find your polling place by visiting elections.erie.gov. Are you voting or planning to for the primary tomorrow? It's our WBEN.com web poll. You already did. Yes or no. Right now, 67%, the biggest block of voters, have checked no. 22% say yes, and 11% say they already did. You can check in with us at WBEN.com. Closing arguments expected today in the trial of a former Florida sheriff's deputy accused of failing to confront a gunman during a school shooting. Former Broward County Deputy Scott Peterson is facing child neglect and other charges as prosecutors say he failed to confront gunman Nicholas Cruz as he opened fire inside Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018 killing 14 students and three staff members. Specifically, Peterson is charged with failing to confront Cruz as he reached the school building's third floor where six of the victims died. Prosecutors say Peterson stayed outside the building for 40 minutes until long after the shooting ended. Peterson has said because of echoes, he couldn't tell where the gunshots were coming from. 
Mark Remillard, ABC News. It's the first time a U.S. law enforcement officer has been tried in connection with a school shooting. Peterson faces nearly 100 years in prison if convicted, but because of his clean record, unlikely he'd see a sentence anywhere near that length. Back at home, Bill's stadium construction getting started in a noticeable way. We're starting to finish up some of the early work, the prep, so the site fence has been established to secure the perimeter. Uh, We're working on temporary power and other utility relocations and establishing some utilities to be used during the construction project. And as most people can see as they're driving by, we're underway with a mass excavation of the work around the property and in the stadium bowl. That was Vice President of Stadium Development with the Bills, John Polka, as construction crews working to build the new Highmark Stadium along Abbott Road and Orchard Park continue excavation work on site, which includes a blasting phase of the project that will start Monday and last for around five weeks. The preliminary plan is for crews to conduct three blasts per week over that time frame, but as Polka points out, there are factors in play that could alter the timeline. It's obviously dependent on how the productivity goes, what the weather does, a lot of factors that go into it, but right now we're planning for the end of August, beginning of September, to be the end of any of the detonations on site. At that we should be down to the bottom of the field level. Friday's test blast was pretty much what Eric Matuio expected of the process and doesn't feel too concerned about the upcoming blasts on site affecting his home or anyone else's dwelling in the community. To this point in the construction process, Matuio feels it has been going pretty good so far. Obviously there's a lot of digging and a lot of dirt and dust going on, but you know it is what it is and uh, happy the Bills are staying in western New York. The guys have been working roughly nine, ten hour days, so they really haven't gone the full bore 16 hours that they're talking about, but really they've been using the water trucks as much as they can, and they're past really the dusty stage at this point. They're using the shale from the uh, pit, using it over for the new parking lot base. So really at this point, it's not that bad. More on the latest developments surrounding the construction of the new Bill Stadium is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, Brayton, thank you. The investigation into suspicious letters with white powder sent to lawmakers expanding the first letters arriving in Kansas and Tennessee. Now, Rena Roy tells us they're in Montana, too. Law enforcement currently testing the unknown substance sent to at least three Republican lawmakers in Montana. The governor tweeting the state will bring to bear whatever resources are needed to support law enforcement officers as they investigate. The FBI aware and now warning others to be cautious when opening mail. Just last week, similar envelopes were sent to Republican lawmakers in Tennessee, forcing a legislative office in Nashville to temporarily lock down. And in Kansas, more than 100 letters, the vast majority addressed to Kansas Republicans. Rena Roy with the latest over the weekend. During this busy air travel season, a major technical upgrade looming for major carriers. The issue is planes have a device called an all-radio altimeter telling them how far they are from the ground as they come in for a landing turns out those frequencies used by 5g are similar Derek Dennis reports experts worry there could be confusion, especially when a plane is trying to land in bad weather. An industry trade group is defending those airlines that may not make the July 1st 5G deadline, saying supply chain issues are holding up equipment deliveries, but it says carriers are confident they can maintain their schedules. Delta says about 190 of its planes won't be equipped in time. United says its United Express planes could be affected. JetBlue reportedly won't have upgrades in place until October and expects some impact on low visibility days. A big turnout for Cotterfest Sunday at Riverworks, the celebration of the fireboat, Edward M. Cotter. One of the highlights was the Greater Buffalo Pipe and Drums.
Fireboat was outside of Riverworks spraying water from its pumps and nozzles. All proceeds from the event go toward uh, restoring, preserving the 123-year-old Fireboat. It was a lot of fun yesterday. Uh, that's, you know, when you put it, the numbers on there, it's even more impressive. Yeah. 123 years and still breaking ice. I right. mean, that is one strong boat. It's so impressive to see when it's when it's spraying, you know, all of its from oh, its Oh, yeah, putting pumps. on a show? It really is. Makes uh, the waterfront even uh, that yeah, more fun in water the summer. cannons, it was just great. But a really nice turnout. Turned out to be a great day. And it was a hot one yesterday. It was hot. It so, was uh, burning. Uh, I, yeah. I had to. I was outside cutting the grass. I had to stop after like uh, two strips. I'm like, give me a hat. I'm. I know. <laughs> I'm the burning, sweating, right? Or- burning at the top of uh, my head with uh, all the sun that's out there. The exclusive WBN seven weather forecast calls for showers here for the morning, and then during the course of the afternoon, some thunderstorms will pop up. Some of the thunderstorms producing heavy rain and localized gusty winds. It will be humid from hilltop to lakeshore, the high temperature in the upper 70s. Tonight brings a mostly cloudy sky with showers, a thunderstorm in the evening. Temperatures will be dropping back into the mid-60s, and we'll look for scattered showers and thunderstorms for the day on Tuesday as well. Again, some of the thunderstorms producing heavy rain, the high temperature in the mid-70s. With your exclusive WBN 7 Weather Forecast, I'm meteorologist Josh Nichols. WBEN News Time is now 7.22, and we uh, turn to political strategist Carl Calabrese, who's joining us live with a look at everything going on in the world of politics. And we'll start locally, Carl, with primary day tomorrow. And I, I think it's catching a lot of people off guard. Even though you're seeing the signs everywhere, you've started to see uh, people kind of get ready for the political season. In June, it's tough to wrap your head around heading to the polls. It's I, Brian, I think it's always tough to wrap your head around a primary because they used to be in September, now June. Either way, they're done in a month where people don't associate election days. <laughs> election day is November. And so now you have a different time frame. And it's, it's difficult for people to, you know, going through their normal life of work and kids and school and activities to get the idea that it's, it's time to go and vote again. So this is a problem for political party organizations and for political candidates running, not only to communicate to their voters and identify those who would vote for them in a primary, but just to physically get them out to the polls. And frankly, that's what usually decides the winners in these things is what candidate has the better organization to get those voters out in a month when they're not used to voting, when the weather is good, and there's so many other things going on. That's the real challenge here. You know, with early voting, which was nine days long, and the absentee ballots that have been received in Erie County, it amounts to 4% of voters having cast ballots. What do you make of that number, and what do you think tomorrow brings? Primaries always have low turnout, Susan. Um, It's like pulling teeth to get people to come out. Uh, It's not unusual to have under 20% vote. Uh, It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, People have other things to do. Politics is not their priority, as you would assume that the candidates uh, have it in their priority list. Uh, and so it's, it's just difficult. And sometimes you get a hot primary. I would think that if you had a primary in Erie County, if the county executive, for example, had a 
primary for the nomination in the Democrat Party for county executive. Uh, that would produce a lot of buzz, and that has coattail effects uh, all the way down to the town level for, in terms of getting people aware. And now that they're coming out to vote for the county executive, uh, they're going to also see other names on the ballot in their respective municipalities, and they're going to vote there as well, and therefore you're going to have a higher turnout. You don't have that this time. Uh, there's just no high-profile race countywide. Uh, that would attract that type of activity, that type of media exposure, uh, and that type of um, buzz that would get people out. So this is a this is a tough one because there's lots of primaries, by the way. I mean, it's I look at it and there's all three cities in Erie County have primaries. Ten of the 23 towns have primaries. Everything from supervisor to council members, to highway superintendents. So believe me, there's a lot of activity going on under the radar screen with all of these candidates uh, running for office and doing what they have to do to try to get their vote out. Is that the reason why there's no big countywide uh, you know, race that everybody's focused on? Because it wasn't that long ago we were wondering if this would change, if more people would turn out for primaries after what happened in the Buffalo mayoral primary last go-round, right, where all of a sudden it's, uh, wow, stunning, you know, overnight nobody was paying attention, and the mayor loses in the primary, has to stage a write-in campaign, and, like, all of a sudden it's the talk of the town. Uh, there was a thought maybe that now primaries would have a little bit more attention. Yeah, I know, but I think I, I think the message there, Brian, was much more to candidates than it was to the average citizen. The, again, the average citizen is in the same place they've always been in. Uh, other things going on at a very nice time of year, uh, and now you're asking them to vote. However, uh, that mayoral campaign, that mayoral primary where Byron Brown lost to India Walton, I mean, that was a shot across the bow to anybody running for office to say, I don't care how long you've been in office. I don't care how popular you've been. I don't care how your vote totals have been in terms of winning. It doesn't matter. Every race stands on its own. And you better not take anything for granted because if you do, your opponent's going to catch you sleeping and you're going to get the same result you got in the mayoral race. So I think that was a real strong message to candidates, uh, especially incumbents. Don't take anything for granted in this crazy business of politics. The 10th district race in Erie County is an interesting one. It's a Republican and a conservative primary. And it's between Jim Melchewski, who's in the seat, and Lindsay Braytek Larigo, who is the wife of the person who held the seat, right? Joe Larigo, who's now a Supreme Correct. Court judge. Could this election, though, on primary day actually be repeated in November if each of them win a primary tomorrow? Oh, sure. And that that is not as unusual as you think. That That's happened many times in the past where uh, a person doesn't sweep the primary ballot and uh, you have a, so a split ticket, so to speak, and you have the same people running again in November, but on different lines. Uh, now, obviously, November is a totally different animal in terms of vote turnout. Now you will have a bigger vote turnout. We have a county executive race on the ballot that should generate more interest and, and more, uh, more voters uh, going to the polls. And so it's just a different animal in terms of turnout and a different, totally different strategy on the part of political organizations and political candidates. Again, primaries, it's almost like you're hunting and pecking for votes, especially on the minor party lines uh, versus 
a more general turnout. I ran in a number of primaries uh, when I was a candidate for office, and uh, also in the conservative primaries. And again, you, you go on a block, you're on a street. If you're running in a Republican or Democrat primary, you've got a lot of people on that block, and you can spend your time on that block going up and down talking to your voters. If you're in a conservative party primary, you may only have one person on that block, and the next conservative voter might be two blocks away. So I actually used to have somebody driving me around so that I didn't waste time walking two or three blocks between voters. That When I finished talking to one conservative party member at their house, uh, my driver would have already mapped out the shortest route to the next conservative and we'd drive to that house. Uh, it's that's, that's the difference between a primary election in a minor party versus a general election. Okay. Um, I want to just, uh, before we let you go, Carl, what happened over the weekend in the presidential campaign. You had a lot of Republicans speaking at a big conference. Chris Christie seemed to be the one who was uh, taking maybe most direct aim at former President Trump. Um, will we see more of that, or is that maybe a surprising move to kind of be so direct? Oh, no, I'm not surprised at all. It's Chris Christie's style. He's, as I said on your show a week or so ago, Brian, he's kind of like the mixed martial artist uh, in this game where everybody else is a traditional boxer. Um, he has he told everyone, he telegraphed that he was going to take off the gloves early and often. He's done that, uh, and I expect more of it. If he's on the, on the stage come August for the first Republican debate, uh, that's going to be quite a spectacle. There's no guarantee he will be on the stage because the Republican Party has set up rules, um, criteria for a candidate to qualify. For example, uh, they have to they have to be in at least 1% in the polls, in at least um, two, two national polls or two national polls and one state poll. They have to have uh, at least 40,000 individual contributors from 20 different states. Now, if they, and they also have to promise to support the eventual nominee. So we'll see how, you know, how that works in terms of weaning down the, the number of people. But I, sh I certainly hope Christie's on the stage just from a, a th uh, just from the theater of it all, uh, because he's, so, he's an interesting character. He is bombastic, uh, and he's going to take off the gloves, and he's going to challenge Trump directly. By the way, he challenged Trump directly using his name at uh, a gathering of evangelical leaders, and he got booed for it. So at least with that group, it wasn't a real popular position. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.